Kia ora iti Heidi Mai to the Festival One podcast. Today you will be listening to a seminar from Festival One 2020. This year we dived into the theme of hope, specifically hope in, not hope for. We trust you will enjoy and be encouraged through this collection of seminars. For more about Festival One, head to our website, festival.one. Now, I won't try and go through all the words of that, but kanuku nuku ka neka neka is to make space. You move side to side, you move forwards and backwards, and it's a response of saying, make space for something that's come in. And then there's um, the mention of the pipi whararoa, the shining cuckoo, which is, lays its nest in another's egg, uh, its egg in another's nest. Laying a nest in an egg would be hard. <laughs> so, you, and it's a reference to the gospel, something from outside coming in, and then takatote pai, establish the good. So it's saying that something has come in, something that was unknown to Maori before in the gospel. God was, of course, always here, but the good news about Jesus Christ was not. And the first response of Ruatara's men when they heard the gospel was to say, let's make space for this thing which has come in from outside and let's establish the good. And I think that's an amazing... We're not, we're not saying that at that point they understood everything. Ruatara's conversation records that. But at the same time, they knew that something wonderful had arrived. So over time, the gospel took root. Churches began to flourish. For a long time, actually, this was all in Te Reo Māori. Um, some of the missionaries' children grew up not speaking English because the entire church in New Zealand more or less was Māori. Um, in fact, the, the few um, Pākehā who were in New Zealand were often very unchurched people. There's a reason why Kororareka was known as the hellhole of the Pacific, all right? And that was not because these people were going to church and repenting of their sins. So there's this amazing move of God down through the country. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But there's also eventually a brokenness to this good story. As the colonial government starts to do things, um, and, and of course to, to Maori, the, the colonial government, they're Christians, right? Because they come from this country. So they see actions that are deeply at odds with the words of the gospel. Christians end up, Maori Christians end up being, finding themselves on the wrong side of wars and eventually down here in the Waikato there's the invasion of the Waikato which deeply damages the Christian faith and its credibility. It becomes very hard for, if you speak to people from Ngāti Hawa, many of whom um, have been here over this weekend and you'll hear that story of the invasion of the Waikato and the terrible scars it left. One of my ministers, um, a guy called Tahoa Tarangi Karaka, um, his marae Te Kotahitanga is in Ngāti Tipa territory. They actually had a church there but when their missionary uh, went and joined the colonial forces as a chaplain, they burnt their church down because they could not understand the betrayal um, of, of them as, as his flock um, when he left them to side with the forces of oppression. So there's this, um, this deeply broken story of something that looked so promising. And it's mixed up with the church as well, not just because of the assumption that the colonial um, oppression was a Christian act, but because the church often ended up taking the wrong side. Bishop Selwyn, who did some very good things, also made it very difficult for Maori to be ordained for a long time. Um, and so there's this very mixed story of the church and its message being good news, um, but its actions and some of the company it kept being very bad. And so after a while, the settler church grew. And it was known as that. There was the Mihingari Church, the Missionary Church, which is what we still call ourselves, Tahahi Mihingari, the Missionary Church. And then there was the Settler Church. And during the wars, an awful lot of uh, what had been the Maori Church ended up 
in, in the settler church's hands. And that legacy is still a real problem in the Anglican church that I'm part of. And I, I say this is our problem. Like we, we are the ones who created this problem and we've made steps to try and sort it out. But it's still a deep division that runs through the country. Nevertheless, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there were moments of hope in this. So um, the first bishop of Tatai Tokoro, which is not that long ago, Tatai Tokoro is the northern diocese, um, Auckland and Northland, Ben Tahara, he still lives in Waitangi. His grandfather, Heta Tahara, signed the Treaty of Waitangi. That's how closely connected we are. Heta was quite old when he had, um, when he had uh, Ben's parents. Uh, but, but you know, there's this... Uh, Still this thing, an amazing connection back. But Heta Tahara did not only sign the treaty, he was somebody who had become a Christian and even in the midst of this brokenness did something that I still think is an extraordinary act of, of expressing the Christian faith in action. So during the Flagstaff Wars at a place called Ohaiwai, uh, there was a battle there. It was, I think, the first time where the British brought cannons on shore and used them to bombard a pa. And um, they expected it to have wiped everyone out, um, but... Heta Tahara, Kawati, and some of these others, they'd, they'd had a bit of a look and a think about what might happen. So they dug trenches. So eventually the troops stormed in. You know, it's, it's called a war, but it's more of a skirmish. You know, there's not, we're not talking about thousands of people dying. Um, but a number of people on both sides did die during that battle. And it was a tactical victory for the British, but also it showed Maori that you could survive uh, the, the bombardment. But the significant thing for the story of the gospel is what happened afterwards. What Heta Tahara did was, sometime later, arranged for the Pākehā soldiers who had died and the Māori who had died to be buried together in the same urupā, in the same graveyard. And eventually a church was built there, St Michael's in Ohaiwai, and it still stands there as a, as a symbol to me of the idea, the possibility, the hope of reconciliation that is possible in, in the midst of being changed by the Christian message. Now what's sad to me is that it took Heta Tahara to do that, and it wasn't something that the colonial forces were able to do. So they're telling a different story by this stage, a different story from the message of the gospel. But nevertheless, the gospel at this, by this point has been deeply understood by many Maori. And as a result, there's a legacy that continues down. Even though many people are pushed away from the faith by the wars, there are still many who remain committed to the gospel and can see the difference between the good news that was preached and which transformed them and the actions of those who named themselves as Christians and yet were acting very differently. So even though the credibility of the message was damaged, there were many people who retained the faith because they believed that it was true and they'd seen the impact on their own lives. And Heta Tahara stands to me as an example of that, of somebody who facing an amazing challenge of credibility. You know, the very people who, the people group, who brought the gospel and now killing his people. And yet he remains faithful to the message of Jesus Christ. And that's an extraordinary thing to me. And you'll find the same stories around the place. You know, you've got Wirumu, uh, Tamihana's picture out there. As you go through the country, you'll find these stories all around the place of the credibility of the gospel being damaged, and yet Maori have appreciated that something is deeply true. And that legacy is something that we live with even today. And what I want to suggest to you is that when we learn about the brokenness of the story, that we don't then merely feel grief, though we ought to be deeply grieved that Jesus' name was dishonored by people who claimed to follow him. That ought to grieve us. But we shouldn't stay simply in grief. We should look towards the hope that redeeming that story is. We believe 
as we heard at the end there, in a, in a God who raises the dead back to life. This is what he loves to do. So when we see death in our story here, our response as Christians is to say, where can I see Jesus bringing things back to life? There's this um, art of Japanese pottery where when a pot is broken, sometimes they don't cast the pieces away. They stick them back together. And you can see the gold lines that they use. And the idea is they're making something more beautiful out of the brokenness that was there before. And I think that's the kind of thing, I think it's called kintsugi, but I might, my real Maori isn't that good, but my Japanese language is even worse. Um, there's this beautiful image there, I think, of the way God brings beauty out of the brokenness of the past. And I think that's something we can look at ourselves. Because of that legacy of the faith being handed down, we have this immense openness on many marae. Not on all marae, but very often I'll get called up during the week and I'll be asked to, um, to take a tangi uh, for somebody who's passed away. And this will often go on for th you know, three days is the norm. You have morning and evening services and then the, the funeral service. And there's, they want to have... On many marae, they want to have a Christian minister, normally an Anglican minister, because of that CMS legacy that's been handed down. Sometimes I'll ring up my friends here, hey, I'll get you to come around to the house and we'll do the tangi together. That is an amazing, my Pākehā friends, they don't ring me up. They don't ask me to come and preach to them. If they did get me, you know, I get asked things like, will you do this wedding? And they say, oh, but I don't want you to say very much. <laughs> I want to tell you what words to use. All right, it's different on the marae. We get asked, and... It's our opportunity, and we are able to be open. I can preach about Jesus Christ on the marae in a way that I, maybe it's just because I'm a terrible evangelist, but my Pākehā friends, I have made zero inroads. But on the marae, I'm able to preach, and I can see the impact that it has there. There's a spiritual openness. We're asked to go and bless people's houses. The other day, a woman came up to my, one of my churches and said, found me afterwards and said, look, there's a spirit in my house. Can you come and cleanse the house? We're able to go around there with two of my um, people who are more gifted in that area. Again, there's this openness to engage spiritually. And that's because there's been this legacy that's passed down. Now, I'm going to ask my friends to um, sing. This is a slightly longer one, okay? But this is telling some of the story of how things have been handed down by Maori as the agents of the gospel. Um, it's called Hepoi. Um, it's composed by Ta Kingi Ihaka, uh, who's famous in the... Um, Kapahaka movement for helping to get it started, eh? So I'll hand over to you guys. Just like on the other one, I don't know the actions and I only sort of know the words. Sorry, we're, we're, we're learning it off by heart, but we've got, um, we, we've got the book just in case. <laughs> don't, don't want to lead you astray and give you the wrong names.
What that tells the story of is those people, those Maori who carried the gospel down to different places. Um, people in the end like Te Manihira and Kiriopa who are mentioned there, the first martyrs for the Maori Christian faith who were taking the gospel um, from down in Taranaki um, up um, a bit further north to the south of Lake Taupo to Turangi and who died for bringing that message forward. People like Rota Waitoa, the first Maori to be ordained, they're all commemorated in that song to remind us that we've inherited a taonga in the cup of our hands, which is the message of the gospel to pass on to another generation. And to be part of that story, to me, is an incredible privilege. And I want to say that it's also a story that you can be part of. You can be part of because that was the beginning of the church. There wasn't a Maori church once. There was the church. And this, was, this is the legacy that we have all inherited a part in. The thing was, I said before that we've got these open doors, but also we have drifting hearts among many of our people. There's um, a great gulf between people's desire to have someone like me come and do karakia on the marae and a fully formed Christian life. And that's partly because of the legacy of colonialism, but it's also partly because we're engaged in a spiritual battle and people are often far from God. Even if they're willing to accept ministry, there's this immense need for the power of the gospel to be seen once again in transforming lives and hearts among Maori. And so we're working hard to try and um, see a, a renewal of that story, not just for Maori though, because when we look at our whole land, we see the same is true of everybody. It's not just Maori who are far from God, our land is far from God. And there is a way of connecting people, I think, because of the, the massive interest in te reo Maori, in te ao Maori, there's an opportunity that if we can proclaim the gospel effectively in a way that works in a Maori context, I believe it will also work well in a Pākehā setting. For all Ngātauiwi who have come to these lands, there's a way of connecting them with the story, the history, the whakapapa of this land and say there's a way for you to find your place in the story, in the hope, in the good news of Jesus Christ. So, um, actually I've already said all that. So here's the thing, here's what my dream is. My dream is that as we see um, a renewal of people who take up that legacy, that we'll also then see an impact on the world around us. We, we want to see people who are able to turn back to scripture. You know, one of the most influential Maori texts uh, was Te Paipera Tapu, the holy scriptures, when they were translated into Maori. Um, we're coming up almost actually on 200 years since Henry um, Williams arrived at Paihi, there'll be a massive celebration by the Williams Fano in 2023. Um, but one of the things they did was to translate or to start the work of translating the Bible into Maori. And even today, a lot of the whakatauki that you hear, people beginning their speech with, if you trace it back, you'll find that these, those come from the scriptures. And there's a, um, a, a, a place that the scriptures have, that the Paipera Tapu has, that we can uh, reconnect people with. There's also a way of expressing the faith, the Christian faith, in an authentically Maori way that means we don't have to create it from scratch now. Because we're the inheritors of an existing legacy, we can look back to our tūpuna, who knew far more about Tao Maori, tafita, the old ways, than we ever will, and they chose for us a particular way of believing and of following Christ. So this here is a church, Te Karaiti Te Pauhiringa Waka. In my area, we've got the oldest Maori church in Auckland, uh, St. James in Maungari Bridge, and this is the most recently built one, Te Karaiti Te Pauhiringa Waka. And what you see in there is 
an authentically Maori expression of Christian faith, but one that is, it is orthodox. It's true to what's been handed down from the apostles to us. I think I, I better not try and explain too much of what's going on there, but the po on each side, they, the carved po, they tell the story. Um, on the right, on this side here, it's the biblical story. And on the left-hand side, it's the story of Tao Māori and the arrival of the gospel into that and the transformation. You can't see it on there, but there's um, Ngākete, you know, the, the Ngākete Matauranga, the baskets of knowledge. In one of them is Te Paipera Tapu, to represent that something arrives there. Um, and the central po there um, is a, you can see it's kind of uncarved, and that's because it's there to symbolize the presence of Christ. And so it's left in this very unusual setting where it's almost unrepresentative. It's not a picture of Jesus, um, it, but it's pointing us towards him as the one who brings us all together. Um, if you want to know more about this, the Venn Foundation on the 20, Thursday, the 20th of February up in Māngere, we're, we're hosting an event where Bishop Kittle is going to explain the, the whakapapa and the story of these pō, of the tukutuku panels and the, um, um, uh, the core whaiwhai panels along the bottom there. So he's going to tell you the story um, on that day. So if you can come along that to that, you'd be very welcome. But what we desperately need to see is not just a Maori expression of this, but something which has life to it and where there's um, an engagement with what God is doing. We're spiritually open, but we really see demonstrations of the Spirit's transforming power in, our, in the churches that our people whakapapa to. So I'm talking here about the older churches that were part of, um, that are recognized on our marae. A lot of our people will go to other churches, and so there's this big disconnect between life on the marae and the church you might look to there, and the church where if you have um, a flourishing spiritual life, where you might go to worship. So we want to, to effectively re-engage what we're doing there to be whakaweawe, to be inspirational once again. And also, I have to say, a lot of our people are quite elderly. So whakato taitamariki, growing young again, is a massive challenge for us. Despite the challenge, though, I want to tell you that there's this amazing place that the gospel has. So this is up at Waitangi. So this is the pōhiri for the prime minister. So in a few days' time, we'll be back up there. The pōhiri for the prime minister. You know how they cancelled parliamentary prayer? Big fight about it, eh? People are very upset. They're not cancelling Christian prayer up at Waitangi. All right, that's Bishop Kittle there doing karakia at the start of the pōhiri. And that's not going away. Christianity, because of the story of how the gospel came, has a place at Waitangi that can't be taken away from us. So to me, rather than fight battles about what happens down in Wellington, let's totoka, let's support the heritage that we're part of and that we have a place in. The, there's only two events happen on Waitangi Day. Most of it happens the days before, and they're both Christian services. There's a dawn prayer service. Actually, some of the prayers in that service aren't very Christian, but we try and, um, <laughs> we, yeah, very, it's very gracious, eh? And then 10 o'clock, there's a, an ecumenical church service there. Don't you think that's amazing? that on our national day, the only two events are Christian events. That's something that's worth supporting. That's a place to find, that's how you can find your place in the story, is because it's the treaty, is the covenant that gives you, Pākehā, the same um, a place in the story as, as everyone else does in this land. It's a covenant that brings us together. I think we have to find a new way of proclaiming the gospel. It's great when we have access to Alpha courses and things like that, but there's also a way in which that's from a cultural setting that's very different from our own. So I'm hoping that we start to develop ways that connect with Maori and with other peoples of the South Pacific. And here's something really key. I think one of the terrible mistakes the church made 
in the mid and late 1800s was to fail to enable Maori leadership of the church. Roto Waitoa, the first Maori to be ordained, this was a long time into the story. For a long time in the Anglican, I'll talk about our church, the Anglican church, rather than criticizing other ones. We didn't have a Maori bishop for a long, long time. The first Maori bishop wasn't even allowed into Auckland, even though he was from the far north. That's how, that's how messed up our church was. And even today, though, I think there's still a challenge in terms of being willing to commit leadership to Maori. You know, in the first chapter of um, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the way the gospel has power. And he says, it's not through gifts of oratory, it's not through all the things that the world looks up to, not many of you were of noble birth. In other words, you weren't the people who held the power in Corinth. He says it was those, it's in weakness that the gospel shows its power because it's obvious to people that when the gospel works, it wasn't because we were amazing, but because God's spirit went out. Now, my guess is that in some way at the background of all this, not explicitly, nobody here is saying this, okay, but at the background, there's a sort of sense that Maori are a little bit at the fringe. Maybe even we know the bad statistics and things like that. And so maybe the thinking, I'm saying this in the background somehow, that cripples handing over to Maori for leadership of the church is that it might not work out very well. Well, actually, our church is shrinking pretty badly anyway. So could it really get any worse? But more than that, isn't that exactly what we're called to do? To hand, if you look at a society, who is marginalized in that society? Let's entrust the proclamation of the gospel to those people. Because we trust not in what the world looks to, but in the power of God's Holy Spirit. God who said, let light shine in the darkness, spoke and the light of the gospel shone in our hearts. That's what we're hoping for. We're not trying to prick the pick the brightest and the best. We're trying to say, what's the pathway that God loves to work in? So in this land, I want us to see a handing over of leadership to young Maori. Carrie Ann is one of these, okay? For over 100 years, CMS and NZCMS had no missionaries to Maori anymore. Carrie Ann is the second of a new generation of Maori missionaries, CMS missionaries to Maori. She'll be serving in, in Monaco. Oh, and also because she asked me, she wants to go back home to the far north as well. So I'm letting her go up sometimes, only occasionally. Actually, more Maori live in Monaco than anywhere else in the world. A lot of them are away from home. Um, and so that, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, is to entrust to people like Kiri-Ann the task of proclaiming the gospel. And in that is my hope. My view is that I am here to be a catalyst for people like Kiri-Ann, the guy I mentioned before, Tahawatorangi. Where they burnt that church, he's now ministering back there again at Te Kotahitanga and in the whole of that southern Monaco area. And we're seeing people come back to faith. I believe that this is the way that we're called to act. It's an act of faith. I also think that we have an amazing message in a world that's focused on rights, on, on how can we um, get stuff back. You know, we can never go back to the way things were. We ought to be able to. The wounds that were done to this land are terrible. And my iwi is called te mate o te iwi, which can mean the, the illness of the iwi, but also the death of the iwi. That's what the, the story of colonialism is to my iwi. We can't change that, but... In the Christian faith, we have this opportunity to preach the gospel of reconciliation, to bring people who are not a people into one people. There's these beautiful phrases for this in Maori, to hohau or itorongo, or tukuponamu, which is talking about the smoothing out of the, of the sea to its green. It's the, the idea that you're bringing peace where there wasn't any before. And I think there's hope in that. 
And also, to be honest, I just feel a sense that God isn't done with this place. This picture I took on the way back from um, taking a tangi out to Ihumatau. You might have heard of Ihumatau sometimes, been in the news a bit. So we've, we've, you know, we're in ministry out there for a long time before all the current stuff. And so I was asked to take a tangi out there. And this photo was taken on the way back. And my sense was that even though it's a sad occasion, that God still loves this land and he longs to show mercy to us. And I think the question for us is, will we place ourselves in God's story, in the way that he loves to do things? Um, Can we find a way of engaging with the story that God started to write before we messed it up? And can we see that story retold? You know, I really like good coffee. And I know there's an alcohol ban on site, but I actually quite like nice beer as well. (laughs) The thing is, though, sometimes I feel like our churches are reaching towards competing with everyone else around, right? So you've got a great cafe, so we've got a great cafe at church. I approve of that. In Tikanga Māori churches, we have a cup of tea, which I don't like. So I wish I... No, I really wish we had good coffee. But if our goal in our churches is simply to compete with what's already out there, we are going to lose... Or maybe you're really good at making coffee and you're going to win. But I don't think that's the way. I I just don't see that that's what God's working towards. If anything, I reckon we end up being the discount store version of what you can already get everywhere else in the world. I think we should be shooting for something different. In Ezekiel, there's this beautiful picture of the valley of dry bones. And the prophet is commanded to, to speak out and say to the dry bones, live. That's what we're about. We're the people who go to the dead places, to the places where nobody thinks there's a chance of life in this land again. And we say, live. We see the spirit go out and bring dead people back to life. I want to hear stories of those who are looked on in the world, in our world here in this country, as being beyond hope. And to hear that God brought hope into those lives. And I think that will happen in Maori communities, and I think that it will happen in a way that affects the whole of our land. What we're wanting to do is to give people a glimpse through the doorway. We know that when the Lord returns, he's going to restore everything, this land included, to the way it ought to be, a place for his worship and a place where there's true reconciliation and healing. What I want to ask you is whether there's a way you can be part of giving people a glimpse of what Jesus' coming kingdom is going to be like. Is there a way for you to hand over the mantle of leadership that you have in the church to somebody who's a young potential Maori leader. For example, is there a way for you to partner with the ministry that is already going on? Not to reinvent the wheel and create some new form of being Maori and Christian, but to partner with those who hold the legacy, like Kiriana Nato and the Hokianga whanau, who have that legacy handed down. Can you go and learn from them and adopt that posture of humility towards them so that people catch a glimpse of what Jesus is one day going to do? I'm old enough to remember records. Okay, some people, actually there's probably people here who have got back into records because they're young enough and it's kind of hipster. Um, I'm not really very hipster, so I don't know. But um, also I think my wife would kill me if I got even more sound gear at home. Um, So I don't have any records. But I remember trying to get the needle to go in the groove. And you know, sometimes there's a bump and it skips out. And to me, that's the story of what happened here. The needle was in the groove of the way God loves to work. And yet... Something happened and the needle jumped out. Our job is not to create a different story, but to say we want to recover the story that God started to write in this land. To try and re-engage with people like Ngāti Hoa, who hold that legacy, the local iwi. They hold that legacy of faith. 
How do we engage with them well, as is being done at Festival One? How do we fit in with the groove of the story that God started to write and that could be rewritten again for us? And the reason I want to do that is because of this amazing uh, picture that Jesus always holds out before us. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when I go around people's homes in South Auckland, I see people who are lost, who are in deep need. It's a, you could look at it from a political point of view. It is a terrible stain on our country, the poverty that many people live in and the awful life situations. But I also see the spiritual need and the hunger there. The people who are my parishioners are harassed and helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. But listen to what Jesus says next. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And my conviction is that the harvest is ripe. The harvest fields are full in this land. If only we had the workers to send out into those fields to bring in the harvest. People like Kiri-Ann, Tahoe who I mentioned before, and these others who we're, we're seeing come through. I think that if we are faithful to the story that God has been writing, if we're willing to proclaim the message, the good news of Jesus Christ with confidence, we will see a great harvest. And just as Ruatara's men stood up in joy because they had received the gospel, I think we can hope to see in our own generation people standing up with joy because they too have received the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I've been told to finish at 1.45, so we've just got a few minutes, and if anyone's awake enough to have a question, or anything like that. Absolutely. So the question was, are the two services on Waitangi Day open to everybody? They are. You have to get up real early in the morning, okay? So dawn karakia is a very Maori thing. And so the dawn service really is before, it's pre-dawn. So the general advice is set your alarm at 4 a.m. and try and get up. If you get up in really good time, you can actually go inside the Farinui up there, um, the Te Farirudanga, which is the upper marae um, building there. And you can go inside, but you have to get in very early for that before the um, politicians all roll in. Because um, they get the front seats. And then the 10 o'clock service, there's, there's normally several thousand people there for the dawn service. And then the 10 a.m. service is, is mu a much smaller group of people, maybe, I don't know, a couple of hundred maybe, or something like that. Um, and, and again, you're very, very, everyone's welcome to come along to that. Yeah. Anything else? For, for next year, by the way, not for this year, because they're full up, there's a trust called the Karufa Trust. Karufa means four eyes, and it was the Maori nickname for Henry Williams because he had glasses. So the Karufa Trust, every year in the days before Waitangi, takes people on a hikoi around the area. You get to help out in the kitchens at Titi Marae, the lower marae at Waitangi, and you get to know some of the story. Um, so for next year, well worth signing up to that. I think I saw another hand, but maybe it went down again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Up until they run out of space. Plus, when they're bringing the Prime Minister in, they're all a bit security conscious. So, yeah. Any other questions? Oh. 
Oh, actually, I think I can see your husband. Do you, do you want to let him speak? It's your choice. I must admit, I don't, I don't know that I've got a good answer to that, but part of the thing, okay, oh, I'll give you a bad answer then, no. I think when you look at something like this, it's easier to see that in aggregate, things aren't right, than it is, like, I, I, I'm not looking at you, Andy, and saying, you need to do it, because I know that you have done that. Um, what, I, what I'm talking about is that when we look at the big picture of the church, we still see that it's primarily Pākehā-led. But I will say that we have our own in-house problems as well as Māori. So very often we're people who are um, perhaps have been far away from the faith and don't have the, the, the gift of having had um, a long time of living faithful Christian lives to draw on in ministry. Um, very often some of the other challenges that affect us as Māori in society also affect capacity for leadership. So I'm not saying that this is a simple thing to solve. I guess my question would be what could we do so that in 10 or 20 years time things were different how could we partner maybe one-to-one -one with somebody maybe somebody here can think of somebody's on their heart and go and read the bible for a couple of years there's a guy I've got coming into our Anglican college and he became a Christian and somebody mentored him for years he's now an outstanding preacher and a very faithful Christian man I have great hope about what God's going to do. Maybe that's the gift that you can give, is that you could mentor somebody into leadership. It'll be a long road, eh? But that's the kind of thing that I think might make a difference. Yes. There are, I mean, prison ministry has often been a focus of, of Maori ministry as well. The only thing I'd say with that is that to some degree, focusing on that um, buys a little bit into a story. Like none of us have been to prison, you know, and it's, it's um, I, I, I just wouldn't want to see that as the focus of where we're looking towards, to be honest, because for us, sometimes there's, there's a bit of a painful thing to hear. Um, and so there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, with going into prisons and doing that prison ministry, but it, there are also many other places to go and look. Our Kurakaupapa Māori, um, our Whareiwananga, our Marae, these are the places um, that would be my first instinct to go to. Um, yeah. Here we go. I think we're almost up. Oh, is there another one more. We've got time, yeah. It depends what you mean by bicultural, I guess. Um, so, you, you, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. One of the really precious things. And one of the things that I think all three of us are still on a journey with is te reo Māori. So to be able to bring the language in in a way that's meaningful is a really significant thing to do. Not just kia ora whanau, you know. It's good, I mean, it's better than not saying that, but, but to be able to do that. And so to do the bicultural thing well, I think, means to engage with the language. And then if you're going to do that, it's to engage with the, the Christian language that Māori use. And that, that involves learning. So to me, the, the first step of a bicultural journey would be to go to the Maori churches and to say, how do you do things? What are the words you use? Because um, what sometimes happens, what's quite funny is people will use, they'll use different kupu, eh, um, for things. And we're like, oh, but that's not what we say for that. 
Um, and, and then it just sounds like another foreign language. Or, so, so I would say the real is probably one of the really key things. Um, and then it's also the fact that I think there's an incredible picture to paint. You know, at the end of Revelation, all the peoples of the world bring their treasures in together. That's what the church is meant to look like. We are people who bring our treasures from our own cultural settings together. And people look at us and they go, they shouldn't get on with each other. They don't fit with each other. And yet somehow God's done something to bring them together. So to me, that's the kind of the beauty of worshipping together. When, when that bicultural thing reaches its pinnacle, is you're painting this amazing picture of what God's done more than some of the technicalities around it. Um, there's even ways you can learn from the Maori churches, what's the tikanga of a Maori church? Um, and it's different from the marae. I've still got my shoes on. You know, that, that's one of the funny things, people come to our churches and they take their shoes off. I'm like, well, none of us do that, but, <laughs> you know. So, because the church is not the marae um, in most cases. So, so there's ways to learn. And I'm saying this as somebody who's done this. So I grew up entirely in a Pākehā setting. No real Māori. And so what I've chosen to do is to place myself under the authority of my bishop so that I can learn from those who have had that handed down. May, who knows whether I'll stay there in the long run, right? But that my hope is that I can actually be formed by those who, have, who hold the legacy and then take that um, out to a wider group of people. Um, yeah. Sorry, there's a rambling answer, but hopefully there's something in there. Yeah. What's that, sorry? Yes, oh, well, it's not actually, uh, but yeah, sort of is. It's United Maori Mission look after that. Um, but actually, almost all the people in United Maori Mission are Anglicans now. Um, so Shona Pink Martin. Some of you are old enough, do you remember the Pink family? He used to sing those waiata, yep. So Shona, um, who's the, one of the daughters, um, she's the uh, chair of United Maori Mission. And actually, there's just been a new student hostel opened for university students with 18 places in it, which kicks off in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, up, up near Holy Sepulchre and Tatai Hono. Yeah. So, I'd better finish there because at the moment I'm I actually I'm now I'm slightly over time, but I don't want I don't want to get shot. Kiro my Tato, thanks for coming along. For more about Festival One, head to our website festival.one.